0: Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow with your host, Linda Nazareth.
1: Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. You know, today we have a really interesting subject to discuss, and that's the topic of reinvention. Reimagining yourself, either because you have to, because you want to, doing something else career-wise or maybe just life-wise. How do you even do that? Can you always do it? Or is there a point in your career when you have to say, you know, this is what I have. And I'm going to have to deal with it. Well, I'm really excited about our guest today. It's someone I've been trying to get for a while. Her name is Dory Clark, and that may be a familiar name to you. She has written some really amazing books. The one we're going to be talking about today, we'll talk about several, but one of them is called Reinventing You. And it came out about eight years ago, really after the last downturn, last recession. Uh, But with the pandemic and its aftermath, it is more relevant than ever before. And Dory has some really practical, actionable tips for how to reinvent yourself now, or maybe how to reinvent yourself after you've kind of taken stock after the pandemic. I think a lot of people are going to find this a fascinating conversation with a lot of takeaways. So please stay with us. Well, it seems like vaccines are being rolled out pretty quickly now. We're coming out of the pandemic. We're not gonna come out as the same people or the same organizations as we were before. That might be out of necessity, it might be out of choice, but many of us are gonna have to reinvent ourselves. So how do we do that? Well, our guest today is an expert in that. Dori Clark is a consultant, keynote speaker. She teaches executive education at Duke University and Columbia Business School. And she's the author of several books, uh, Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, and Stand Out. The New York Times calls her an expert at reinvention. So very timely to have her here. Dori, thank you so much for being here. Linda, I'm so glad to join you. Thanks for having me. You know what, Dory? I have to say, I was reinventing myself several years ago. I actually uh, changed jobs about eight years ago, and I wrote to a bunch of people off LinkedIn, just making contact, talking about projects. And you were one of the few that really sent me a really nice note back and um, encouraged me to whatever I was trying. So thank you for that. That's a, a nice thing to remember.
0: Oh, that's great! Thank you. I I, I am uh, touched you you remember that. That's very that's very sweet.
1: Well, you know what? It it seems to be something you've made a practice of, uh, encouraging people in reinvention. But you know, before you even talk about that, I want to talk to you about your own career. How do you get to a point where you're the expert at this? Was this a straight line or did you have some
0: twists to get here? Oh, well, if we're talking about how do you become an expert at reinvention, there's really only good, you know, one good response, which is failure repeatedly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> tends to be the case. Yes. So for, for me, I uh, ended up developing an expertise in reinvention through a lot of trial and error. I was a newspaper journalist and got laid off. And so I, I had to find new, new work and a new career. Uh, so I went into politics and I became a spokesperson on multiple campaigns, all of which lost. And uh, I reinvented myself then into uh, running a nonprofit and I ended up doing that for several years before eventually starting my own business as an entrepreneur. So I've had a lot of different career iterations and uh, learned learned a lot in in the process. But it going through all of that made me fascinated with the the act, the art of reinvention. And my first book, Reinventing You, was really an effort for me to try to understand the process more holistically. Because when I was doing it, I was just muddling my way through. I really felt like I didn't know what I was doing. I was just uh, kind of you know, shots in the dark and it was very disconcerting. And I wanted to try to create a framework to help other people do it in a more systematic way that hopefully made it easier and a little bit less stressful for them in their own reinvention. And that was what, 2013 or... That was when it first came out, yes. So that was four years after the last major recession, and people were kind of
1: finding their way. And now we're into a different period. You know, it's a recession, I guess, but it's a really different one. Are you hearing from people during this pandemic? Have you had them reach
0: out to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the pandemic, of course, has been a driver for lots of reinventions. Um, You know, it's a fascinating thing, of course, to watch how industries have been impacted because some industries seem to be going stronger than ever, more work than ever. And other ones, meanwhile, have been just shut down completely. And thank goodness we're, we're starting to see some flickers of life. But for the past year, if you worked in hospitality, if you worked in travel, if you worked in entertainment, these were truly dark days. And so a lot of people have have had to get creative about ways to make ends meet. And that obviously uh, can be very, very stressful, uh, but it also can be a spur to positive innovation. And lots of people have decided that this is the sign they need from the universe to finally uh, make a switch or to try something new or to take a side gig and turn it into a full-time thing or start that business they've been thinking about, whatever it is. Well, I'd like to come back to
1: that in a minute, how you do that. But I just want to get your view on this. It seems to me that even people who are in those industries that are doing well often want to reinvent themselves. It's like a lot of people aren't completely happy no matter what they're doing or, or they think they don't have the right fit in terms of what they're doing. Do you hear from those people as well?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're there are two kinds of reinvention at a fundamental level, and I talk about this in reinventing you. That there's uh, there's essentially you know the voluntary kind, and then the involuntary. And of course, yeah. the most obvious examples are where you're forced into it. You've been laid off, or uh, the the industry just gets shaken. Your business shuts down, whatever it is. And and those are ones. Where it's often upsetting. You know, you, you haven't had time to plan for it. You have to scramble, you have to figure things out. But there certainly are an equal, if sometimes not greater, amount of people that really are interested or in various parts of contemplation around a voluntary reinvention. And thankfully, those are often for great motives. It's because they've finally discovered something they're really passionate about or really interested in, or maybe they've decided that they would like to learn a new skill or just continue to develop themselves in a new direction. And that can be a very exciting and meaningful process to come closer to who you feel you are meant to be. Well, let's take
1: those two groups separately because they have different paths maybe out of this. The first one, the involuntary group, and we have a lot of them, as you say, in hospitality or entertainment or whatever else. It's a scary thought to think that maybe you won't go back To what you did before? What's the first step out of it?
0: Yeah, well, it's it's certainly something I can relate to very personally, having been laid off from my job as a reporter. I I think that often the first impulse that people have, and it's it's definitely the one that I have, is to try to cling to what you had before. You know, when I was a journalist, I'm like, but I want to be a journalist, and so I started looking around at other at other papers and other magazines. I'm like, well, maybe someone else will hire me, and then of course. what happened at the, at the time for me, it was 2001. Um, it was really the start of the massive decline of the journalism industry, the print news industry. And so no one, no one was hiring. And so similarly, um, you know in, in the past if you if you worked on Broadway, you know, you'd say, Oh, well my show closed. So what other Broadway shows can be can I you know work on? And of course the answer during the pandemic is none, because there are none. <laughs> and so you you sort of shake your fist at the sky for a while, but then you realize, oh God, okay, I've got to transition. And so I think that the next step once you realize that an analogous position may be out of reach, at least for the short term is just you need to start thinking about transferable skills. And uh I sort of think about this like a Venn diagram from junior high math where it's the overlapping circles. It's like, okay, well, what other fields or industries are there where your pre-existing skill set that you're using all the time can sort of bleed over into it. You know, if you're if you're a fantastic Broadway or off-Broadway actor, for instance, that probably means uh, not just that you can be a waiter. It also means that you probably are great at public speaking. It probably means that you are a very expressive and compelling performer. And so maybe those are the things, if you're sort of casting your net widely, where you say, you know what, maybe I should try a sales position or something where I need to be presenting in front of groups regularly. And that that's a skill that you can lean into
1: and do you think that people often do that i mean i know that's great advice but it always seems like people don't want to make a big leap is there a long lag time before you know you see that happen
0: there can be, there can yeah. be. I mean, for sure. I think that it is contingent on a couple of things. One is, frankly, the urgency with which you have to pay your bills. Because uh, if if the rent is coming due, uh, whether or not you want to do something, you say, "Well, okay, I guess I need to figure this out." Um, part of it is also uh, just how how dire and long term you feel the situation is. Um, obviously, with something like Broadway, and and I. Uh, feel very close to this living in New York. Yeah. And also I not only write musical theater, I also invest in musical theater. So I um, have kept kind of a close pulse on this. Originally, the idea was, oh, well, Broadway theaters are going to be closed a couple of weeks. You know, I mean, oh, that's too bad. Everybody has sort of this enforced time off for three weeks. Well, we'll all be back in April. no. <laughs> and so as it begins to drag on and reality sets in, I think uh, people begin to say, oh, oh, okay. Maybe maybe I do need to uh, transition and make a mental shift. But, but half the battle really is being willing to make the mental change. I mean, there's a story that I tell in my book, Reinventing You, about a woman who had been a teacher for many years, and she ended up getting hired as the executive director of an education nonprofit and she had been working in that job for several years and she was at a cocktail party and her husband overheard her and she was introducing herself and people said, oh, well, what do you do? And she said, oh, I'm a teacher. And they said, oh, where do you teach? What do you teach? And then she was like, oh, well, I mean, I'm not teaching now. I do this other thing. And, you know, afterwards her husband's like, why did you say you're a t- You haven't taught for three years. And it was only in that moment that she realized like, oh, she had been doing this job, but she had not made the mental shift yet. And I think for a lot of us, that's kind of the first the first barrier to reinvention.
1: You know, it's interesting you bring up actors. I often, when I do, I speak about future work and I often talk about actors because they haven't had jobs for well, forever, right? They're used to having one job, one project, and then they go and maybe they're a waiter. Maybe they get another acting job. Maybe they take some time off and they continue to work in the profession doing it that way. For a lot of us, a lot of people, they think of having one job and they can't get their minds around, you know, doing different things at different times. And I make the point often that maybe we need to get our minds around that, that you won't do one job for a long period of time and never have to think about it again. Maybe it's going to be the continuous scramble. Uh, do you agree with that?
0: Well, I think certainly in the US we're we're moving much more toward the uh, the sort of short term or the the gig type of work. Um, that that seems to be the the direction for sure. I mean, all of the, the studies, and, and you're you're probably even more familiar with them, Linda, than I am about uh, you know, McKinsey predictions and, and things like that, say that a, a rising percentage of people uh, worldwide. Are freelance employees in in some capacity, whether it's a full-time freelancer or someone who is doing some freelance work on the side. And I think I think two things about it. One is I think it is probably an inexorable trend in the sense that I mean, if a company had the choice between paying for your health insurance or not, why would they? I mean, it just really makes logical sense that it's easier for for the, the entire transaction if if things are uh, are done in a freelance way so i don't think that trend is going to be erased but I, I also think the second thing that i think is that it's i actually believe that this is good for employees um it is not good for you if you want to just do a thing and not think about it but i you know but i, I think that if we have a, a sort of old-timey mentality of oh I'm just you know gonna work in this job and and you know there's the social contract where everything will be fine um, we're pretty much in for a rude surprise because that social contract was ruptured a long time ago they you know surprise they can fire you anytime they want and it's fine until it isn't and then it's really not fine the reason that I think that freelance work and you know sort of portfolio career as I like to refer to it is so powerful is that it is the very best way that as individuals we can hedge against that we can retake control and we can make sure that an employer of, of any kind of any duration is never able to have that kind of power over us again because if we have multiple revenue streams and multiple clients that we're working with you have more legs on the table and if one doesn't work out it's not the end of the world you're going to be fine. Okay, let's talk about how you do that. How do you create the multiple revenue streams? Yeah, so the the short answer about creating multiple revenue streams is you do it one at a time. (laughs) I think that sometimes uh, people get a little overwhelmed because they feel like, oh no, I have to create 10 overnight, which of course is going to be a pretty stressful and impossible proposition. Uh, That is not what I'm suggesting. But what I do think is useful is to think about ways and... I advocate no more than one new revenue stream a year just, just to pace yourself, just to learn what you need to learn and be able to properly develop it. But it's about incrementally over time, you know, within a period of two or three or five years, building up a safety net for yourself. And so if you are somebody who currently has a day job, I think that the idea of doing a little bit of consulting or coaching on nights or weekends or whatever is a fantastic idea and it might be something potentially related to your job. It also might not be, you know, maybe it's, it's about a hobby or a skill or, or something like that, that you have. I mean, maybe you're a really good photographer. And so, okay, on weekends, you know, you, you do wedding photos or or whatever it is, but these are the, the tools that you can be building so that if ever something happens you have, you know, it's it's really, really hard to turn on a spigot suddenly and expect to be making a living from it if you've never done it before. But if you have something you've been developing and cultivating, and then it turns out that you either want or need to develop it further, it's much easier from that kind of running start. And just by way of one example, in my book, Entrepreneurial You, I tell the story of a guy named Pat Flynn, who is a, a podcaster these days, but he got his start working at an architecture firm. And he, on the side, had been studying for an architecture exam. He created a, a website to basically post his study notes so that he could use it as a tool for himself, but also maybe to help other people in the process. And it occurred to him one day after, after doing this for a number of months, he's like, huh, I wonder if anyone would would actually buy like an ebook with my study notes, because as it were, it was available all for free, but you have to click a million times on the different blog posts. It's kind of a hassle. He said, What if I bundled it all into a PDF? I wonder if anyone would buy it. So he did that, right? Just put all his study notes into a book, sells it for 30 bucks. Guess what? Within a couple of months, he was actually earning more from the ebook sales than he was from his day job which turned out to be very powerful and important because he got laid off from his job during the 2008 economic crisis. So he had something to turn to. And I think that's that's really the kind of thing that we all need to be looking at and thinking about. Interesting. Well, let's
1: talk about the other group, the group that has a job and maybe is well-paid, well-compensated, but doesn't think that this is it for them. They'd like to change careers. Is this the time to do it? Is it ever the time to do it, I guess? And what advice do you have for that group?
0: Well, I think one rule of reinvention is it is always a great idea to be starting from a place of strength rather than a place of weakness, right? like if you uh, if if you've been laid off, you have to find a job, but it's a hard time to be looking for a job because you feel, a lot of emotional sturm and drong you feel uh, a lot of financial pressure you may have to just you may have to take something suboptimal because oh my gosh I have to pay the mortgage next month and uh, you know we we all do that sometimes but it's not necessarily how we would want to do it so it is a great time and a great position if you have a reasonably well paid job things seem safe and secure yes that is the time to start thinking about this to start investigating options or potentially looking for things and so i think that the key is really just you know beginning to to map out that process and i love to Uh, to think about, you know, are there ways that my current job could either help me launch into the new job, you know, or, or, you know, at a minimum, it's providing a financial base while you're doing this. But maybe there are actually ways that I can use it even more. So for instance, if you want to try to pivot into a new career area, are there things that you could voluntarily do within the context of your existing job that would either build your skills or your connections in this new area, and therefore almost use your job as a laboratory to help you get the training that you need so that it becomes easier for you in whatever it is, six months, 12 months, 24 months, to jump into the the next place you want to go. I think it's going to be interesting
1: coming out of the pandemic, seeing how people feel, because it has been a life-changing event. It has you know, made a lot of people think about where they want to work, where they want to live. Do you think we'll have a wave of reinventions, maybe even a wave of people quitting
0: jobs as we come out of this? I, I think that there is probably going to be a fairly significant reshuffling. Uh, one thing which already we're seeing signs of is... People have gotten very used to remote work during uh, during the pandemic. And so if you have a situation where your workforce has been remote for a year, it's been working reasonably well, and all of a sudden you say, well, now everyone has to come back into the office. You are probably going to get people who object to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may have, you know, moved across the country. They may have moved across the world, and now they say, "What? You're expecting me to come back to this, you know, random little town that I left?" Or, or you know, "Oh, you're expecting me to come back to this really expensive city when I've been, you know, living on my palatial estate in the uh, in the mountains?" And uh, if if you, as an employer, take a hard line, you will probably experience turnover. So that's that's certainly one example. Um, but yeah, I, I think during the pandemic, it was a, a dicey enough time. I mean, people, certainly at the beginning of the pandemic, were worried about the economic repercussions. You know, is this gonna be worse than the Great Depression? like people, uh, people very seriously thought that that might be the case. Or, uh, you know, obviously, there's the health the health situation where people, just in general, or feeling sort of scared and discomfited and beleaguered and so under those circumstances that is not a risk-taking scenario that's not typically uh, a time when people are like oh yeah let's let's just roll the dice here right a lot more people uh, most likely have held on to things that they perceived as safe or as uh, a reasonable choice when because they needed an anchor when everything else seemed to drift but as we God willing, Get closer and closer to normal life when people can be circulating freely and not so worried about the public health risks. I, I do think that our overall risk tolerance, including in our professional lives, is going to increase.
1: It'll be interesting to see how it plays out over the next two years. I mean, I think about just the choices people will make. They'll say, well, let's go on the trip today because who knows, it could be shut down next year again, right? It, it's hard to understand how that'll really translate to personal decisions, but I have to think we'll see it. What about organizations though? Are they going to reinvent
0: themselves? Well, to a certain extent, organizations have have already been forced to. Forced to, you, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we've got, we've got the, the virtual situation. We've got, um, I, I think, a very interesting thing, probably for me, one of the most interesting aspects of all of this is prior to the pandemic, there was a lot of angst, about uh, as there always is with uh, robots and AI yeah. and the future of work and oh my God they're going to take all our jobs. Uh, well, it, it now appears you know McKinsey has actually accelerated the the timeline and the uh, in terms of their projections of the number of jobs. Uh, which is quite, quite dramatic. You know, I think it's something like 40% of jobs are going to be not not completely eliminated, but rather dramatically reshaped within the next less than a decade. Uh, and and they think that's going to be even faster as a result of COVID, because the truth is, uh, during a pandemic. Everyone is is just so much more receptive. Like, oh yeah, a robot could do it. A robot that doesn't have germs, yeah, mm-hmm. bring it. And all of the the typical complaints just evaporate. Like, oh, if we can get rid of humans, that's fantastic, because they're just disease vectors. Uh, so I, I think we're going to be going a lot faster in that direction, and that will
1: cause people to need to reinvent themselves too. I mean, you bring this up, but there's a safety issue. If we think about transit in New York, even the number of Employees who got COVID possibly died of COVID because they were right on the front lines is, is frightening. So, yes, robots could do some of those things. But as soon as people hear that, they say, And then what am I going to do? And, you know, it, there are different risk profiles. You can reinvent yourself as a systems analyst. If you've done a job that's been fairly straightforward and you haven't really had to think about, acquiring a whole bunch of new skills, it's a different ball game. What do you say to that group? The ones who are perhaps called lower skilled, maybe they are, maybe they aren't.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think it's true. I mean, um, we have all seen that where, where robots or AI are able to uh, make the biggest dent are in repetitive tasks. And uh, that's historically been the case and it continues to be the case, but also even more um, what we are seeing is that because of the great leaps forward in AI, it now appears that even jobs that ha- kind of combine repetitive tasks with a kind of analytic judgment that, that you have to derive from the data, they seem to be getting pretty good at that t- too. And so it's encroaching into a new area of weight-collar professional skills. So. On one hand, it, it, it is alarming, but it's only alarming if we don't do anything, if we just you know sort of lie back and say, they're coming for me. Well then, you know, yes, they will. <laughs> you know, change happens, you know, time and tide. But I, I think that the the most important lesson is just that for all of us, we we can't ever afford to just sit back in stasis. I mean, you know, I guess if, if that's like been, you know, your goal, it's, it's too bad that that's gone. But I honestly don't think that that's ever really been true. I don't think it's ever really been a possibility. Um, there, there are so many different ways uh, that things get disrupted and we have to become accustomed to it. We, I think it's actually a good thing to realize and to stare it into the face that like, yeah, we cannot afford to rest on our laurels life moves life changes and we need to keep learning things we need to keep trying things and we need to develop ourselves in different ways and that doesn't have to be some kind of a burden it can actually be an exciting opportunity because you know 20 30 years of doing the same thing that's actually a little bit boring and so leaning into the opportunity to uh, to develop ourselves can actually be fantastic and i will argue it gives us Long term security, real security in our careers, as compared to the illusory security of having a quote unquote safe job that is never actually safe. It's just uh, wishful thinking.
1: The other group that I wanted to ask you about, because I hear from them and it's perhaps a concern, is older workers and reinventing, perhaps gets a little bit harder as you're further along in your career. Do you have any thoughts on that?
0: I do definitely. I mean, I also Linda, to hear from different people, and you know, they all sort of write in. I, it's it starts maybe at about fifty, but it goes all the way up. You know, I'm I'm X. I'm seventy. I'm sixty. I'm fifty. Am I too old to reinvent <laughs> myself? And my answer always is no, absolutely not. I mean, I think that it it is true that you know, if you're if your retirement horizon is like you know, a year from now or something like that, and you don't really feel like you want to dramatically reinvent, fine, you know, you can probably coast, that's cool. But if you are somebody who either wants or needs to stay in the workforce for another five years, let's say, now you know, even a few years, then it is it is both possible and I would argue imperative to continue evolving and keeping your skills sharp. And that has nothing, nothing to do with age, what I think it does have to do with is your own self perception, and to a lesser but still significant uh, aspect, the perception of other people. And so, the, the biggest difference in the advice that I would give to someone who is a quote unquote older worker is you know, a you need to believe that you can keep learning and want to do this, but b you just have to pay a tiny bit more attention to branding. Your reinvention, because it is possible that other people might, you know, look at the gray hair or whatever and say, "Oh, you know, can she really do that? Can she really keep up?" And so it does. It's not hard. It's actually not hard to prove this, but you just need to be conscious of it and over-index. And so I actually tell folks who are uh, who are a little bit older and doing a reinvention you need to over-index on showing people that you are keeping up. Like they might have these ideas in your head like, oh, she doesn't even know how to use Facebook, probably. And you need to bat that down so substantially you need to be like, you know, face, Facebook, that's old news, people. I'm running my clubhouse room. Like, why aren't you on clubhouse with me? And if, if you can like show them that you know more than they do about markers of being with it, quote unquote, or, or being on trend with social media or different things like that then you will not only shut them up, you will leave them so impressed. you like, oh my God, she's 68 and she's running a clubhouse room and she has 3000 followers. Whoa! And you'll actually get disproportionate positive attention as a result. Dori,
1: we're coming out of this pandemic. You've spoken and written about reinvention and entrepreneurial you and the rest of it. What's the next topic you want to tackle?
0: Yeah. So the next one, Linda, that I'm working on, I actually have a new book that's coming out in September. It's uh, September 21, 2021. So we're going going a little meta there. Uh, It is going to be called The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. It's coming out from Harvard Business Review Press. And basically, uh, I'm going to be addressing something that It came up a lot during the pandemic, and I've also seen it in a a lot of my coaching clients and folks who are participants in my Recognized Expert course, which is, there is just so much pressure, I think, pressure we put on ourselves and pressure in society toward short-term thinking or short-term results. And it can be so enormously frustrating if you are looking for a result quickly when the nature of what you are trying to accomplish, and I would argue a lot of the things we're trying to accomplish as professionals, um, you know, they're very worthwhile, but they take a while. And you are always going to feel like you're falling short and you're always going to feel like you're not doing it right. If you're, if if you just keep, you know, cursing yourself because like, why don't I have results yet? And, you know, fundamentally it's a long-term process, but if you treat it as something that should yield short-term results, uh, you're gonna be very dissatisfied. And so I wrote this book as a way of pushing back against it and just really you know, sort of holding it up and, and saying, look, the, the best things in life, are. it's not that they're worth waiting for, I mean, I think they are, but they're worth working for and they're worth exerting strategic patience for. And so it, it really to me is kind of a clarion call for that about how to keep doing the small hard things, even when it's hard, so that you can get the results that you want in the long term.
1: i look forward to reading that as it comes out September 21. Dory, thanks so much for being here today.
0: Linda, thank you. It's such a treat to get to speak with you. And I'll just mention for your listeners that are really interested in diving into reinvention, yes. they have a free resource if they're interested. It's the Reinventing You self-assessment, and they can get it for free at doryclark.com slash reinvent. Awesome. We'll put the link up too with the show notes. Dory Clark
1: is a speaker, a writer, and an expert in reinvention. Well, that's it for today. If you did enjoy hearing Dory and you want to know more about her and her organization and some of the things she referenced, please check out our show notes. You'll find some links there. And if you want to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at, at Relentless Eco. Now, if you did enjoy this conversation about the future of work, please take a moment, leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. We'll really help people find us and help us continue this discussion around the future of work. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks, as always, to Stokely Audio for audio production.
0: To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at com. The Work in the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.